Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Grizzlies. I have a special guest. It's Mike Wallace from Grind City Media. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm hoping that this, this playoff run lasts a little longer and uh, we stack up some more victories. Everything is good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, okay, I know you do do um, the radio uh, play by play, uh, color, color, um, mm-hmm. color commentary with uh, Era Hex at half the time sometimes. Mm-hmm. How was it doing color commentary on TV with Fish when um, Pete and Brevin <laughs> was, was out with the health yeah. and safety protocols? You know what? It, it's it was a blast. I mean, you know, it, it was a natural transition. You know, when you're working alongside uh, uh, professionals like that, I mean, I work. Eric Hasselton has been in the game for 20 plus years. You know, Rob Fisher, Pete Pranica, Brevin Knight, uh, those guys are stalwarts. They're stalwarts in the Grizzlies broadcast. And, you know, I, I had the background coming from ESPN and, and being on the national stage a little bit. So, you know, being in that moment wasn't that overwhelming or, or, or nerve wracking for me. Um, but you do want to come across as a guy that can help out wherever you can. And, and just having that versatility to help these guys and, and to learn from them, uh, to be around them, it was a blast, man. And, and you know, I, I would say I can't wait to get those opportunities to do it again uh, from that standpoint. But we have such an amazing crew um, that usually if I do get an opportunity like that, then something that must have gone wrong with them. So uh, I don't wish that for anything. It was fun. It was definitely fun, though, Sharon. I, I enjoyed every every bit of it. So you've been with the Grizzlies for some years now. Has the yep. team ever had a player like John Morant? No, no, no. Um, a, a player that can combine the ability to take over a game uh, with being a magnetic superstar who also understands the culture of the city, um, who resonates with, with kids, um, who gets the respect of the OGs. Um, you know, he's just the total package. It was almost like Ja was meant for Memphis. Right. And, um, you know, and and it's one of those situations where he's going to grow up here. You know, he came here as a 19 year old kid, 19, 20 year old kid. And, um, you know, now he's 22 um, and and he's going to be under contract for for years to come. And he loves being here. Uh, He he, he loves the culture, the the music, the vibes, everything that goes on. And his family also embraces the city of Memphis. So have I seen another player like I've been here full time with the Grizzlies since 2016. Um, and every, but you know what though, every player that I've come across, Tony Allen got it, you know, Zach Randolph certainly got it. Right. Mike Conley, Mike Conley, you know, represented the city with as much class and dignity. Mark Gasol brought an international flair to this city. Um, if you play for the Grizzlies and you stick around here long enough, uh, you, you're going to embrace everything that comes with it. John Morant does that. Plus he's a, you know, unquestioned superstar in this league. So I think his talent level takes him to a different level. Uh, than what I've seen here before, but he certainly fits uh, fits Memphis like a glove. From your viewpoint, how resilient is this team? Whew. Well beyond their years. You know, I, I was saying this on a, on a national uh, network earlier today that, you know, when people ask me, you know, what is it about this Grizzlies team that, that continues to have me scratching my head about how well they're done? And I say two things, second youngest team in the league, second best record overall in the league. Those things never match up at any other time. You're not supposed to be this young and this good uh, when it comes to where you are in the league rankings. And the fact that the Grizzlies got there 
with a lot of great development from Taylor Jenkins and, and, and his staff, uh, putting the right pieces together from, you know, Zach Kleiman and his staff uh, in the front office, and then players wanting to celebrate in one another's success. That's not a, a quality and a characteristic that should be lost on anyone. This is truly a team. These guys have one another's back. And I think whether you're talking about corporate world, uh, sports, uh, uh, educational settings, or just any other place in, in walk in life, if you're around a people, a group of people who want you to be successful and celebrate your success just as much as they do their own, um, that's a magic quality right there. And these Grizzlies have it. And I think that's why they're so resilient. So that leads me to my next question. This team has the true embodiment of the next man up mentality. In yeah. your career in the league, have you seen that? That next man up to, to, to continue to, I've never, I've covered the league for 20 years, um, on and off for 20 years now. And I've never seen a team that would lose a marquee player like a John Morant and, and still post a 20 and five record. Like have their record, their winning percentage be better um, you know, overall, when they lose their best player, um, that just tells you that this team is built well. And, and even not even just when Ja went out, but when Taylor Jenkins had to step aside for health and safety protocols or when he had to go for a family, you know, uh, uh, emergency situation, they <clears throat> backup coaches. I mean, not backup coaches, but the assistant coaches, you know, Brad Jones, um, you know, Darko Ryakovich. I mean, those guys step in and got victories. <laughs> When Taylor was gone. So right. it's not just next man up, it's next coach up, uh, is next trainer up, is next team manager up. You've seen that. You know what I mean? So it's one of those situations that no matter where you, where they are and what they're doing, the person that's alongside you and behind you is, is every bit as qualified and ready uh to step in when needed. And that's that's been a remarkable thing to see. What was your evaluation of the first uh round one? Tough slugfest. I saw it coming. Um, anyone who ever asked me, I said, give me the Clippers all day over the over the Minnesota Timberwolves, because, you know, that, that's and that's no disrespect to the Clippers. It's just that, you know, where the Timberwolves were strong, it, it sort of matched what the Grizzlies had. But they also had a dominant big inside who could be versatile enough to neutralize the Grizzlies front line. And Carl Anthony Towns was able to do that. And um, that's what made them so scary. They also were a team built in the Grizzlies mindset. They just didn't give a damn. You know what I'm saying? It was like right. they wanted to go out there and they didn't care. They got physical with you. Um, they were too young to be and naive to get nervous in any moments. But they also lacked the kind of quality that the Grizzlies had at the end. And that was the resilience and the ability to close games. Memphis got better as the game went on, whereas Minnesota kind of got worse and sort of fell apart. They couldn't sustain their success where the Grizzlies were able to get stronger as the game went on. And that was the difference in that series. To me, it seemed like, as I look back, it seemed like it was a mind game. It just seemed mm -hmm. like the Grizzlies list just cruised, mm -hmm. you know, like the first three quarters. And then they just turned it up, like in the fourth mm -hmm. quarter. So I was like, all those four quarters they won, I was like, how in the world? And then this last game, game six, I was like, how they score 40, 40 something? Mm -hmm. like, how? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing, Sharon. It was one of those situations where, of all the uh, first round playoff series, the Grizzlies led the league, the playoffs in fourth quarter scoring. They averaged 32 points a game in the fourth quarter going into that last game. Um, and and it was it's just, some teams don't, they, 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 they respond when their backs are against the wall. Other teams can play well with the lead, but when it gets tight, they get tight. And it seemed like every single time you talked about it being a mental game, Minnesota didn't make enough, they made too many mental mistakes. They took bad shots. Or they, they made inopportune turnovers. 
and they played like they were tight as the game got tight. They didn't know how to win, whereas mm-hmm. the Grizzlies knew how to win. And I don't think they, I don't think they, they, they kind of just cruised into the fourth quarter. I think they got beat up in the fourth quarter, but they never, you can never deliver a knockout blow to a team that believes that it can come back from any kind of deficit. And that's what the Grizzlies do. Okay. The Anthony Melson didn't play in some of the games or Miz was limited in, in the first series, but yeah. he came in in game one of the second round against mm-hmm. the Warriors and he contributed Im- immensely. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's, it's, you talk about it. We talked about it a couple questions back. Next man up, next series up. Um, some series may not be your series, but other series and matchups you're, you're pretty much built for. We felt like DeAnthony Melton was going to be able to get another opportunity and he was ready. He didn't pout. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. That's the, like, I, I say this because it's, 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 you know, you see it in a workplace where when you, when it, when it's not going your way and you feel like you're, you, you know, your stuff isn't getting the spotlight or the shine, you kind of sulk and, and you feel like it's, it's, you know, it's only about you and you're not able to look at the bigger picture, man. And, and I see that every day um, in just different phases of life. But when you're on this team, I don't get that quality. I, I see DeAnthony Melton and Steven Adams. Um, Steven Adams fell out of the rotation, but he was one of the biggest cheerleaders on the bench. He still worked his tail off before health and safety protocols to get some of the other bigs ready. You know, he was in Xavier Tillman's ear to make sure when his time came that he was going to be ready and knew the assignments. DeAnthony Melton was the same way. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals where he didn't get the minutes, but if you walk, if you looked at him in the locker room or after games in, in Minnesota, you know, he still had that DeAnthony Melton joy, that, that joking demeanor, that quality about him. And when he got his chance to get out there in game one against Golden State, he knocked down a few shots. The rhythm of the game favored his type of game. And, uh, and I think he's going to be a factor in this series moving forward. I have never seen him without smiling. Yeah, Every time I see him, he is always smiling. Yeah, he is. He is. And that's, that's the kind of person he is. And that's the personality that he brings to this team. So when you see these guys posing for photos afterwards and they're doing all of the, you know, the antics and everything, DeAnthony's always in the middle of it. And that speaks to Ja Morant, too. That speaks to Brandon. Like, like all of these things, guys could get into their own mindset. We got three players on this team who are veterans on expiring contracts, essentially, who could be thinking, you know what, this is it. I got to go get mine to prove that I need a contract next year. But they're all buying in. And that's Tyus. That's Kyle. You know, those are all guys that feel like, you know, Dylan soon will be coming up again. You know, different guys could be in situations that they could get selfish and look within themselves. But instead, they continue to buy into the team mindset because they like being around each other. And then um, when you brought up Stephen Adams, I was going to ask, I was going to say in game five, you know, I was there and I was looking on the bench, like when the guys were, they were down and everything and they came back and won, they were down 13, but it just seemed like the guys were down when they got on the bench, but Stephen Adams and Kyle Anderson, it just seemed like they just kept them afloat. I saw them talking to him, Stephen Adams pulled Jaron to the side. And everything. I was like, well, people send up their something they don't have veteran leadership, but they mm-hmm. do in Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams. And I saw that. Mm-hmm. That was my first time seeing that actually because I was there in the arena and mm-hmm. I could see it, see them on the bench. Yeah, you can see them on the bench, and that's the case every single time. Think about when guys come come out of the game or when a guy makes a big big play in the game, you see the entire bench jump up and react. Um, and, and you see, you know, when Jaron and Jai and some of the frontline guys aren't in, how they respond when, you know, John Conchar or uh, Santi Aldama or, 
you know, somebody like that, or Xavier Tillman make plays, the guys that are in the back end of the rotation, you would think that they're starters the way that, you know, the way that the bench reacts to them. So, you know, that's just what this team is all about. And, and that's not something, again, I, I wish I saw that in more areas of life. I wish I saw that in more areas of professional uh, work environments. And you just don't. And, and, and that's why it stands out so much when I see it with the Grizzlies. Because, again, these are all high-paid, ego-driven, millionaire athletes uh, who have been the best players in their cities, their states, their regions, all of their life for the most part. And now they have to get into this environment and, and buy into a bigger uh, concept of team. And that's credit Taylor Jenkins for that because he gives them opportunities to play. Like it's easy to be a good cheerleader when you know you're about to get back in the game again. Um, mm -hmm. but, but it's hard to do that when you don't even know if you're ever gonna see the floor. And to Taylor's credit, uh, the Grizzlies have always given guys opportunities to get back in no matter what part of the season they're in. They always have opportunities to play. Uh, you know your number's going to get called and you, you better be ready to perform because uh, that number is coming. Your number's coming up at some point. Okay. Um, do you think Jaron Jackson Jr. found his groove after his break, his two breakout games, um, game six in mm -hmm. the first round and last night game? I, I said he it before. in the first round. Yeah, I mean, he definitely struggled in the first round. The physicality of the series threw him off a little bit. Um, you know, trying to find his way and his rhythm uh, was difficult when you're in foul trouble. You know, he averaged 5.2 fouls a game in that, in that series uh, against Minnesota. He shot well below 40%. Um, he couldn't stay on the floor. He only averaged 22 minutes, six, uh, 10 points, and six rebounds. That's not Jaron Jackson Jr. by any stretch. But those last two games that he's played, the ones you said, the clincher, uh, in Minnesota in game six and what he did in game one, um, you know, with the 34, 33 point game against uh, Golden State, you know, Jaron, that, that, that was a breakout that Jaron desperately needed. And I said it from the moment that this series changed to Golden State. I said, Jaron Jackson Jr. needs to be to the Memphis Grizzlies, what Carl Anthony Towns was to the, uh, to Minnesota in that last round. He needs to be a headache against the Warriors the way Cat was a headache against the Grizzlies. Um, in terms of being able to dominate because Golden State has no one that can match up physically, length-wise, skill-wise with Jaron Jackson Jr. He's the most different. He's the one player in this series who cannot be neutralized with another person on the other team that brings anything near what he brings. So he has to play like that, um, especially when you know that these shooters on Golden State are going to be deadly. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but he's, he's got to be a matchup nightmare for the, for the Golden State Warriors. Game one proved that he could do that. Can he come back and do it again for game two? Okay, so let me ask you um, about, because like in game six, after, you know, he was talking to Fish, he had an emotional moment. Then uh -huh. he went up and hugged his dad. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God. I yes. mean, it's just like, they had me emotional because you can just feel, it's just yes. like, all the, it's just seemed like all the pressure was off his shoulders. Like, yes, yes. we did this and it's, man, that was so, I mean, and, and you know, you know what, Sharon is, is, is uh, you know, the backstory to that is, you know, well, two things. One, our broadcast, our radio broadcast position was just a few rows up from, mm -hmm. from where that scene took place. So as soon as the game ended, you know, I saw Jaron run right up the steps right below me. Um, and, and I knew where his dad was because I had talked to his dad at halftime and before the game and I knew where they were sitting. And to see that embrace was magical. And so let me let me rewind a day before that. Uh, the night before that game, we were in Minnesota at the team hotel in the lobby and Jaron Jackson Sr. walked in and sat down uh, in the lobby. And, you know, we, we, we sat at the bar and, and talked 
uh, for about 20 minutes. And then, um, you know, I went to dinner with, uh, with Brevin and, and Fish that night too. And so the three of us with Jaron Jackson Jr.'s dad was sitting in the lobby for about an hour just catching up. And some of the things that he said that he, he was like, listen, I know Jaron's struggling, man, but he's going to come out of it. I'm not going to sit here and talk to him about basketball. I'm here to support him as his father. And, you know, a million people are here to talk to him about basketball. He got coaches for that. But I need him to find out, you know, why he loved this game and what this game is all about. The one thing I told him about basketball was this is going to be hard. The playoffs are a different animal. I played in the playoffs. I won a championship with the Spurs. And what he needs to know is that, hey, this is what you sign up for. The playoffs, you aren't entitled to great games in the playoffs. They're going to, they're, they're, you got teams here that are designed to make your life a living hell in the playoffs as a player because you're a franchise guy. So get used to that. And that was his message to Jaron. And then the next day to see the game play the way it did for Jaron and then to see Jaron run up in the stands and find his dad after some that accountability session that they had, um, that's remarkable, man. That's the reason why I do what I do, to be able to see stories like that unfold, to be able to share stories like that. Um, because I think if we can humanize these players and, and, and show the fans that these guys do have emotions, they understand what rough days are about um, and, and they need to overcome just like everybody else. That was one of those moments that touched your heart. And, and I, I certainly agree with you 100% uh, that it touched mine too when I saw it unfold. I mean, it, I mean, it really touched mine. I didn't know the backstory or yeah. anything, but it really touched my heart because mm -hmm. man. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was your, what's your assessment of last night's game? You know, it's, it's, it was a one point game. You know, it was anybody's game mm -hmm. at that point. Both teams had 10 point leads that they couldn't hold on to. And both teams had answers. Um, the whole time I kept thinking, okay, Jordan Poole is a problem. He's going to be a problem. Um, but I also said, you know what, uh, you know, if, if, if you're the Grizzlies, you can look at that game and say, hey, you know what, uh, we had a shot to win it on our home floor with 3.6 seconds left. That was the exact same scenario that we had in game four, and we won it. You know, I mean, John Morant hit the same, you know, from the layup from that left side with his left hand, he hit it and won it uh, in that situation. This time he didn't hit it. So it's a make or miss league. Despite everything else that went on, um, you know, they were right there toe to toe, toe for toe on 36 hours rest right. um, with the team that had been off for almost a week. So, exactly. if, but if you're the Warriors, you're saying, you know what? Hey, we didn't have Draymond Green in the second half. Klay Thompson couldn't hit a shot. Steph Curry missed free throws. Klay Thompson missed two clutch free throws at the end of that game. And we still won. So we had, we probably played our C plus game and stole a win. So just imagine if we could play a B game, we should be able to put this team away. So going into game two, both teams feel like, hey, we, we still got a lot more improvement to make. So that's what I think tomorrow's game is going to be so important because I think that game will tell us more about how this series will play out more so than game one did. Okay, what adjustment do you think the Grizzlies need to make? You got to get on the offensive glass. You got to limit second chance opportunities, man. You can't, your strength coming into this series was your ability to rebound. And Golden State out-rebounded the Grizzlies in game one. They killed them on the offensive glass. Well, I ain't going to say killed them. They penalized the Grizzlies on the offensive glass because... Especially late. Put, especially yeah, the shot late. That put, yeah, the shot that put the, uh, the Warriors up for good was Clay's three, and that came off of two offensive rebounds in the same possession. So, you know, they cannot, cannot allow uh, the Golden State Warriors to get multiple looks in one possession because they are lethal, so lethal. Um, that's the one thing. I won't even say anything else in terms of matchup. Um, they need to be able to limit Golden State to one shot as much as possible, continue to dominate, the re get back to dominating the rebounding. And I think the Grizzlies, you know, can even this thing up tomorrow if they could at least do that one thing. 
Okay, if Stephen Adams is able to return mm -hmm. after health and safety protocol, health and safety protocol, what immediate impact do you think he would he would make for the team? And do you think it would be like it was last series? Well, we talked about the rebounding being. I mean, when Stephen Adams is on the floor, that's what he does. He rebounds, he sets screens, and he keeps the offense flowing. He does a, in a bigger, slower way. He does for the Grizzlies what Draymond Green does for you know, Golden State, minus the ball handling. Obviously, Draymond Green is an excellent big man ball handler and a superior defender. But in terms of facilitating the offense, making sure everything calibrates, guys get to the spots that they need to get to, he's basically a security blanket for John Morant uh, in the pick mm -hmm. and roll game. So if he can pick and, and, and then roll to the basket, offensive rebound, put back the things that John misses, we've gotten that from Brandon Clark. He mm -hmm. stepped into the Steven Adams role and has played really, really well. But that's only when Brandon is coming off the bench. If we can get that in the starting lineup and coming off the bench, then you avoid those kind of lapses. So I think that's what Steven can bring. Once he gets healthy and once he gets back, we'll have to see because he also has to get his win and his conditioning back up too. This is a frenetic pace that the Warriors can scramble you in. So that's not an easy series to work yourself back into. So this, okay, like the Grizzlies has a record-breaking season. Mm -hmm. So do you think what the success look like for this team? Has it already been successful or is it I, I, finals I think, or bust? <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's finals or bust when you're the second youngest team in the league and your two stars are 22 years old. You know what I mean? Um, I think the game one, uh, Elias Sports Bureau came out with a stat that said this was the first time in NBA history that three players age 22 or younger all had 30 points in a playoff game. And that was Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, and Jordan Poole. And, you know, so that tells you how young these contributors are. For the Grizzlies' success, the season is already a success because of what they did in the regular season. Um, the season is already a success because of what they've done by getting their first playoff series victory. And now they're going up against a three-time NBA champ, and, and there's no shame. You know, yes, I'm pulling for the Grizzlies to win. Professionally, I want the Grizzlies to win. Um, I've been with them all, you know, all this time. And I believe that they are capable of winning if things break right. But there's certainly no shame in holding your head if you fall in six or seven games to the Golden State Warriors, um, a, full, a fully you know, healthy Golden State Warriors. And if that's the case, then you know what? The Grizzlies can say, all right, the only thing that we lacked was a little bit more experience. And we took, we took the best. Who, the, if Golden State gets past this series, they can go on and win an NBA championship this year. Um, and that's, 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 that tells you what the benchmark of expectation is. So just imagine, as well as the Grizzlies played this year, setting tying a franchise record with 56 wins, all of these records that were broken individually and collectively as a team, and then you still get to the second round of the playoffs, you fall a little bit short, theoretically, you still need that extra chip on your shoulder. So you're going to have that in your back pocket with an added motivational chip to, hey, we need to get even better than this. Man, the sky's the limit for these guys coming off of this season, no matter what happens in this series. So why do you think that people, because I, you know, I'm on social media a lot. Why yeah. do you think that people really have a problem with this team? Because, you know, they are so young, but people mm -hmm. say, well, they don't have the right to talk shit because they haven't done anything yet. That's I mean, it. you know, it's, it's, it's like, like, I'm, I'm an old school guy. I, I believe that, you know what, you got to earn your stripes, but I, I do think part of the, Part of the, uh, the swagger that this team has, part of the defiance is what makes them so strong, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think sometimes if you haven't done it yet, you got to believe that you can do it. Right. They're convincing themselves that they can do it more so than they're convincing anyone else. 
but you do get to a certain point where that can become detrimental because mm-hmm. you're psyching yourself into and out of things when there are no haters out there. Mm-hmm. You don't got to worry about social media or the fact that, you know, all 20 analysts with ESPN picked against you to win this series. Forget all of that because yeah. you got to go out there and play Golden State. Right. That team in and of itself deserves 100% of your attention, not haters, not media, mm-hmm. not social media. So at a certain point in, in professional maturity, you got to say, no matter what we say, no matter how much we gritty and dance and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we got to go knock out the Golden State Warriors. And <laughs> that deserves everything that we have because it's going to require all of our attention. And once this team gets to that point, then they'll be fine. But I don't want them to be anything other than what they've been all season. And that's confident. Um, that's that's defiant. That's with an edge. That's with a, with a swagger. But you're going up against a team that felt the same way. You're not going to out trash talk Draymond Green. Right. You're not going. You're not going to out stare down uh, Clay Thompson when he's you know he's got ice water running through his veins. You know what I mean. You're not going to out shimmy Steph Curry. So all of those things that Golden State had um, that made them so special, the Grizzlies have those ingredients too. Now they just got to go get the wins and, and, and climb through the rankings uh, to earn that right to be able to do that with the championship behind them. Yeah, because I, I saw today where uh, Draymond Green was talking, and mm-hmm. you know he was like he was talking, you know, talking trash to uh, to Jaw, and you know yeah. just like Jaw was talking trash back to him, and Draymond was like, you know, he loved it. Yeah, he does. He loves be- it. He be- loves. He it. was the same way. I remember when Draymond first came into the league, you know, and, and Draymond and I have had this conversation. I was with ESPN at the time. Draymond comes into the league, and one of his first games, uh, one of his his first matchup with LeBron James. The end of that game, the end of his first regular season game when Golden State played Miami, Draymond Green defended LeBron James, got a defensive stop, and got the putback over LeBron James to win the game for Golden State. And I went into the locker room for Golden State um, after that game in Miami, and I talked to Draymond about what did it mean for him to defend LeBron and get a stop and then score over LeBron to lead his team to the win in, in a clutch moment. And he was talking trash from that point. He was like, I belong here too. You know what I mean? Draymond, you know, uh, LeBron James is a great player, but I plan on being in this league a long time and I want to be great too. So this is what I needed to do. And and this was Draymond before he blew up and became Draymond Green. So he had that from day one. And that's why game respect game when it comes to adding that edge and that swagger. And uh, there's nothing better than it when you, when you see two competitive teams going at it like this. Okay. So what's your prediction for this series? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I got to say Grizzlies in seven, right? Grizzlies Just seven. because, I mean, I, that's that's what I got to say, you know, but I mean, objectively, uh, it's going to be a tough, tough uphill battle, no matter, no, no question about it. I mean, I think Golden State is, 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 is the, the superior team when they're completely healthy. Um, but, you know, if who knows how this series will break. So I'm going to say Grizz in seven, but I know that that's my heart speaking. You know, my head is telling me that, that you know, this is a learning curve for the Grizzlies that, they're going to come out victorious no matter what the scoreboard tells you, because I mm-hmm. think they're going to be a better team regardless of what this series uh, produces. Right. So I, I said Grizzlies in seven because it's just like, I believe that they could, like, if they have everything together, if Jaron Jackson Jr. can dominate and they can get things from Jaw and uh, Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks, I just think they have a chance to just win it. And then, like I said, they're not, they're unbothered. They're not scared. And I just want them to, keep playing like that they they have to they have to the only problem with that is that you got clay thompson steph curry draymond green uh jordan Poole, uh andrew wiggins you know you got you got some 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 beasts on the other side too 
mm -hmm. um, that, that are really ready. Um, they have the championship medal. Um, they know the adjustments that they can make and they're trying to get back to, it's not like, see, this is this Golden State Warriors mm -hmm. team to me, Sharon, is mm -hmm. a team that feels like, yeah, we won three championships, but right now that doesn't matter. We're zero now because this is a new team and a new challenge. All of our guys have been hurt. Draymond missed almost all, almost all of the year. Mm -hmm. Clay missed two years. Steph Curry's been in and out with injuries the last two years. This is like their last push to show how great they are again. And I think that's what gives them that hunger too. They want to climb this mountain one more time for validation, mm -hmm. whereas the Grizzlies are trying to climb it for the first time. And that might be the difference in the series, but it's going to be an entertaining one nonetheless. So do you think that Taylor Jenkins needs to tighten his rotation? No, no, because again, I think that's that's getting away from what he's done all year long. And we right. had that conversation in Minnesota. Um, the Grizzlies will play, they should be playing nine, 10, 11 guys. Mm -hmm. um, now, when, you, when you're without Steven Adams and when you have, you know, uh, uh, Zaire Williams hurt, that takes you from 11 down to nine anyway. And mm -hmm. if somebody's not playing well, then you're at eight. So I think attrition is going to dictate that more so than strategy. But Taylor is going into each game feeling like he needs to play 10 uh, just to stretch everybody out and make sure everybody's fresh. So do, okay, what do you think Ja need to do? Yeah, I know he almost had a triple-double, mm -hmm. you know, last night. So what, what do you think he needs to do better? What I think John needs to do better is to identify shooters. I mean, you know, once he gets into the lane, mm -hmm. um, you know, identify what you're going to do, be assertive with what you're going to do in terms of going to the cup or find spraying for shooters. I think sometimes people stand and, and ball watch uh, when right. he's up in the air and going through the lanes. I think he has to be a little bit more assertive, but I also think he has to be a little bit better in protecting of the basketball too, because I think he can get um, a little skittish with, uh, with his passes and, and passing lanes and things of that nature. Um, but other than that, and, and obviously, you know, keep his man in front of him as much as he can defensively. This is going to be tough in this series, but he's going to have to uh, commit a little bit more to defense um, in, in order to be a better two-way player um, as opposed to an exceptional elite level offensive player and a potential liability defensively. He's got to be able to put it together and balance that out a little bit more. And I think that's something he's going to work on this series, but also going into the offseason as well. Okay, um, what do you do you think uh, Taylor Jenkins should be coach of the year? He's certainly in, in, in my top three, you know what I mean? And, and I would give it to him just because the only people that I have above him, um, the only person that I have above him is Monty Williams. And Monty Williams had to do a whole lot without Chris Paul, and he was missing Devin Booker too. But that team had the experience, and they had a lot of continuity coming back as well. Um, Taylor Jenkins is right there after him. I know Monty Williams personally. I went to high school with him. Um, he was a teammate, uh, you know, in high school and, you know, so I, I have a, a, a relationship and a knowledge of him and that Phoenix Suns organization. Um, but when you look at the job Taylor did with John Morant missing 25 games, um, you know, with Dylan Brooks missing, you know, stretches of the season, you know, with, with different guys in and out with the COVID issues and all of that, and to still pull this team to the second best record with the second youngest roster. I don't think there's any resume stronger than Taylor Jenkins is when it comes to coach of the year. So yeah, he would get my vote. Um, but I would understand if Monty got it. Um, but other than that, it's got to be Taylor. If, you, if you're not going to give it to Monty Williams, you got to give it to Taylor Jenkins. So I think he, he, he's he got a strong case for sure. And honestly, I think uh, Monty Williams should have won it last year. But you know, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. don't have a vote. Yeah. Right, right, right. But is, is there any last thoughts, uh, Michael? Um, just, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. You know, this is, this is what you sign up for. I remember the grit and grind run, uh, the seven years straight in the playoffs. I was there the last time the Grizzlies faced the Warriors. 
Um, and, and I saw what that young Warriors team wanted to do, and the Grizzlies were a veteran team at that time. Down the roads are kind of flipped a little bit, uh, just a little bit. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable to see this, this series come back together and these two teams play. And uh, so I'm looking forward to continuing coverage. Um, it, it's fun to be in the arena packed. I mean, it was jam-packed in there for game one. The yes. city is beautiful this time of year. Um, there's no place better in May than Memphis, uh, especially when the Grizzlies are rolling in the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to all of this. And I can tell you personally, people who do not like basketball, they mm -hmm. are into the Grizzlies in this city and they mm -hmm. want them to win. They trying to, I mean, everybody been hitting me up for tickets. I'm like, I don't work for the Grizzlies. Yeah. I can't yeah. get you, hey, I can't hey, get I you, no, free, I can't I get you no free tickets. I'm I know. Like, I, 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 I work for the Grizzlies and I can't get tickets. So don't even worry about that. I can imagine. Uh, what it's like when you don't work for the Grizzlies and you're trying to get sick. So I get hit up all the time and I'm like, hey, man, that inventory is light, light, light. So, hey, I'm lucky I got my press pass. That's all I'm saying. Look, me too. Me too. Well, uh, <laughs> well Michael, I appreciate you coming on and yeah. being with me. And I, and I just pre appreciate you uh, supporting me through the years. Hey, thank you. Thanks a lot. Anytime. We'll do it again, too. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.